Welcome to Medical Minefield, where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman, and I'm the health editor at The Mail on Sunday. And with me today is The Mail on Sunday's deputy health editor, Eve Simmons. Hello. So, Eve, you've caused a bit of a stir. Yes, it seems that I have ruffled a few feathers. In last weekend's The Mail on Sunday, Eve wrote about uh, why she is troubled by the rise of fitness influencers on social media who sell the idea, she says, that you have to look sexy to be healthy. So this week I thought I'd do something a bit different and I'd interview you. Oh gosh. But to start with, I'll read a small extract from the piece to give you an idea as to what this is all about. Their pictures are cleverly angled to emphasise the cleavage, impossibly toned abdominal muscles, or of course the buttocks. They're clad in the same body-hugging active wear made from wisps of sheer fabric. And despite saying they're exercising, they're usually in full makeup. It's never-ending, profile after profile, all adhering to the same formula. Uh, strong stuff. So, Eve, I think the first question is, why did you want to write this piece? So I think I should probably disclose my personal connection to the story first. I, as I have spoken about before, I think on this podcast, I suffered with an eating disorder, specifically anorexia in my early 20s. I was hospitalised because of it. And from then, I have come into contact with lots of people who have had problems with their body image, body confidence and kind of disordered eating. So that's why I'm sort of like, I guess, highly sensitive to these issues because I am in a field... um, in the eating disorder community where I know that these images affect predominantly girls but also increasingly boys more and more and have an impact on their mental health. And I've just become more aware that the trend with relation to fitness on Instagram has become more and more about the way that people look and there's also promotions for products related to exercise. So, for instance, um, Protein World is very popular. And they're the, um, the beach body ready company, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, so they also caused a stir a few years ago by promoting their diet supplement shakes by plastering pictures of scantily clad women all over the underground. Weight, um, weight, loss, weight loss adverts featuring an extremely thin woman in a bikini. Basically. Which was why they were... Yeah, of course, an uproar. completely vilified for it, um, quite rightly, I would say. So those kind of brands that are obviously selling a image of a woman, um, usually a woman, and it's masquerading as healthy content, which I, I have a feeling that it isn't. And I interviewed experts who agreed with me and shared my concerns. But explain to me, you know, I mean... People want to lose weight a lot of the time or get fit. They go to the gym because they want to look good naked. I mean, that's a big motivator. What's the problem with that? So there's many issues with this. Firstly, I would say that it would be great if all of the bodies that you saw on social media promoting health and fitness were healthy bodies that were real bodies and, you know, the featured the muffin tops that women have and all sorts of cellulite etc but the fact is they're not they're a thin ideal of so-called perfection that is made to feel well I know makes people feel that they ought to look this way too and it's completely unrealistic often the pictures are doctored by photoshop or they're taken in a particular light, a selfie light is used, or they're standing at a particularly ridiculous angle, poking their hips out, which makes their their lower body look kind of more ample. And it's just not realistic. It's not real life. And it's portraying an image 
I worry for young people it's portraying this image that you have to look a certain way to either get likes or success or be healthy and fit which just is not the case i mean years ago we had a debate around the size zero model people who might be old enough to remember in the 90s and noughties it was very much the topic of conversation you know using extremely thin fashion models was uh, questioned and there was definitely a move away from that not least because the models themselves we knew were very unwell in many cases and you know sadly some of them died from eating disorders but these days we don't really have these models do we it's it's much more real people selling stuff online but the problem is the same, you say? Yeah, what's really interesting is that scientists have actually looked at this and they've seen that the influence in terms of what we see as normal bodies of the bodies that we see on social media is greater than the bodies and the images that we see on billboards or on TV adverts or in magazines, so traditional media for the very fact that we relate to these images more. You know, you get a window into somebody's real life because you watch their Instagram stories and you see them going to the shop and then you see them, you know, doing all of the things that you do and then you see a picture of their body that looks what you think to be, you know, perfection and incredible and they've got perfect proportions and you think, well, if Debbie down the road, you know, has that body, why can't I? So it's a lot more, it feels a lot more obtainable because... It's a real person, but in fact, it's still selling the same impossible ideals. And there was that, you know, just a few weeks ago, there was uh, Chloe Kardashian, who's very popular with very young girls. And, uh, you know, you were quite concerned about that, weren't you? Yeah. So Chloe uh, Kardashian, which, you know, most people will know her as the reality TV star from the Kardashians, Keeping Up With The Kardashians, popular television show. Uh, and she now is sort of, I guess, most known for her social media presence, where she often uses her platform to sell certain products, sometimes diet products. And recently, she a picture of her surfaced online where she looked still very sort of I would say what a lot of people would see as a very attractive body shape but, but it hadn't been airbrushed no it hadn't been airbrushed her stomach looked like a relatively normal stomach it looked pretty normal, amazing to me yeah I mean it was inc- <laughs> it was incredible I mean most women would be like oh what could I do to get there but yeah. um, which is part of the problem but anyway it didn't look like her usual pictures look like which is completely unreal really Um, and within 24 hours her team took it down and there was a big uproar about that because you know people were accusing her of perpetuating an unrealistic ideal of body image because she obviously had a real problem with having a picture of her real body out there she later went on to post some statements about that and essentially sort of blamed the culture in the media for making her feel this pressure to photoshop her images and Mm. and make herself look the best that she can be but she is the culture in many ways isn't she well exactly and i think what these influencers need to sort of realize and i hope that they would realize for the greater good is that their images do not exist in a vacuum there are millions of eyes on those photographs and whether or not they feel comfortable with it is another issue but actually if you're putting an image out there whether it's attached to a brand and you're trying to sell something or whether you just that's the image that you want people to see of you you know if you've got 20 or 30 followers and it's just your mates you know they're going to be able to be like oh that doesn't actually like her I saw her yesterday like down the pub and she looked different she's probably put a filter on it or whatever but when you're putting that out to hundreds and thousands or millions of people and you know that you are selling a certain 
style or something or lifestyle. People want to be like you. Mm. And I, I think that these influencers are under no illusion that that's what people are thinking when they look at their pictures. I mean, you mentioned at the start a bit about your own story. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that? You say that influencers played a role in your own eating disorder. How did that happen? Yeah, so I guess I'm highly sensitive to it in other people because for me, you know, I grew up loving food. I was always a big foodie. I would put on big dinner parties and I would eat lots with my friends and I was lucky in that I had a constitution that I never really gained a lot of weight. So I didn't ever worry about my body. I was very confident, never had a problem. And then almost overnight, I joined a fashion team. Uh, It was my first job. And I got very interested in all of this diet stuff that I saw on social media. And I started following various influencers who would talk about how to make brownies out of vegetables and how that was better for you. And I was like a sponge and I soaked up all of these myths, which I, I now know to be myths, about fat being bad for you and sugar being bad for you and XYZ. And I also was very interested in the images that I saw of fitness people who were showing me that, you know, I too could have abs and a a very flat stomach by doing sit-ups three times a day. And And did you really want to look like that? I think eating disorders come in all different shapes and sizes and they're very individual. And for me, it was much more about food. It was much more about controlling what I was eating. But on reflection looking back I guess you know it would be naive for me to say that body image was not an issue at all of course it was and the more weight I lost and the more my body changed the more I felt in control another thing that you've written about which has interested me over the past year is that there's been a spike in eating disorders especially in teenagers and that's specifically linked to people young people uh, having nothing else to do but look at social media and compare themselves to these influencers who have impossible impossible to achieve bodies that's I mean that's something that we're seeing statistically and certainly your eating disorders contacts are saying they're seeing a huge rise in these cases. Absolutely so it was always suspected by eating disorder professionals but now certainly over the last year I mean the leading eating disorder charity in the UK beat has seen an 80% increase in calls to their helplines over the last year there's been a fourfold increase in eating disorder service referrals in young people another charity I spoke to said they'd had like a 120% increase in calls. I mean, it's just getting worse and worse. And the sort of common theme between all of the conversations that I have with eating disorder professionals are they are terribly worried about social media. And it's now been proven in various different studies. There's associations that are drawn out between the amount of time young people spend on Instagram specifically and disordered behaviours, whether that's to do with exercise or food. And obviously... There was the absolutely tragic case of Nikki Graham who passed away. Um, Mm. You know, the ultimate thing that can happen with these illnesses is that they can be fatal. Mm. I know parents are out of their minds with worry when they're faced with these problems with their teenagers. So, I mean, you're very much saying we need to take social media very seriously and this content is not just harmless. 
completely. I mean, eating disorder professionals have said to me that even in the last year, people are changing the way that they're consuming these images and it's becoming even more extreme. So you've got now young people who are maybe would have been interested in exercise before, but would have kind of explored that with their friends playing tennis or whatever it might be on the weekends. Now they're sat in their rooms doing these endless workouts that they see on Instagram. And the same goes for food, you know, a lot of eating disorders develop in a time where people feel that they really need to control something. And obviously in the past year, we've had a complete lack of control of all our circumstances. And so that's partly played into this development of eating disorders because, you know, young people see different diets on Instagram or or other social media platforms or different ways to control their diet to perhaps make them healthy. And all of a sudden they've got something to focus on. I was interested as well on the effect on young men. Um, Mm. In your piece, you explored the idea that some of these images of women gave men a message that these girls uh, were objects and uh, that there was a link between sexual violence and consuming these semi-pornographic images online. Yeah, I mean, interestingly, when I first started exploring this, I was very much dismissive of that argument because I feel very strongly that, you know, we can't be blaming women and young girls for the behaviour of men when it's unacceptable or illegal. However, when you start to look at the evidence, it's undeniable. There's very good studies that show that men, young boys who look at sexualized images of women, be it on social media or in magazines, there doesn't seem to be much difference, are much more likely to hold views of girls and of women that sort of portray them as sex objects, basically, and they're to please them sexually. They're not sort of three-dimensional beings. They're just, oh, well, you know, every woman is kind of up for it essentially. And some of the language that was used on social media after your piece was quite sexually violent, even from women. Yeah, yes, there was a lot of... um, Is it just words or is there something weird going on? Metaphorical, inviting me to do certain things, which I would quite frankly rather not do. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, you know, you can laugh about it, but otherwise you cry. It's it's pretty depressing. Um, I, I don't know what's going on. There does seem to be this sort of aggressive nature in the fitness world on social media that is sexualized as well and that does worry me you know especially given everything that we've seen in the last month with regards to young people reporting sexual violence at school I think clearly there's something going on within our culture and I do think even though you know there were problems 20 years ago when I was at school it was nothing like this and I think we can't deny the only thing really that's changed is social media I'm going to hand over to you now, Eve. Thanks so much for answering my questions. You know, you're not the only person that's concerned about this. So I think over to you. Yes, thanks. So now um, I'm joined by someone who needs no introduction. Uh, She's one of my all-time heroes, Susie Orbach, who is the author of the seminal book, Fat is a Feminist Issue, and is also a psychotherapist. Susie, your book was published in 1978, and it was the first to really identify a link between this culture that judges women on their bodies and the way that they look, and a generation of women who are unhappy with their bodies. That was 40 years ago. And what struck me, as you've said to me in the past that you think things have gotten worse since then how so well i think the age groups have gone lower and higher so whether you're five years old and 
on an iPad and seeing cosmetic surgery apps or whether you're in an old person's home, you're still receiving messages about needing to look youthful and needing to have your body be a certain way, be live and so on. And then there's also a, a, a kind of growing market, which is both directed at boys and men and being sold all over the world as the body image, the westernized body image, elongated, stretched, as the way that we should enter the world, as though we're all, we're all from a cookie cutter model. Mm. And do you think that social media has played a huge role in this? I think it's really amplified the situation, unfortunately. Of course, it's also provided a way for people to protest and get together, whether it's organizations like Endangered Bodies or Anybody or Body Positivity or all the things where women are trying to claim that body diversity is a place to live from. But in general, the whole problem of likes and seeking recognition through being seen as opposed to doing, I think has amplified the problem. And then there are these enormous commercial, what I would call the merchants of body insecurity who prey on everybody and increase their profits as long as they can induce body insecurity in girls, women, boys and men. So would that include fitness brands like Protein World who, um, you know, they, they have deals with influencers? Mm, of mm. course, I think we already know the history of the diet industry, which is that diet industry is very successful as long as it fails you. So, you know, 92 or 93 percent of diets, you have what's called a recidivism rate. I should have put that the other way around and said out of 100 people who diet, only seven people will successfully stay at the weight they wanted to achieve. 93% of those people go on the treadmill of many, many, many more diets. And that's how diet companies make their money. Uh, mm. So they're based on failure rather than on success. So yes, all the diet companies, the fitness companies, it's the same kind of thing. Once you destabilize people, once you say there's something wrong with your body, you induce the sense that we have to fix it, but actually nobody ever feels safe or relaxed in their body afterwards. It becomes a, a trap in which the body becomes a kind of your calling card, but also the place where you try to solve all sorts of problems, whether they're with your mom or your boyfriend or your kid or your teacher it doesn't really matter some people say that young people copying images that they see on social media sort of you know sticking their hips out and putting a bit of lipstick on is just a bit of fun what would you say to that i wish it were just a bit of fun but it's so ubiquitous and it's it's the fact that they're not running up and down stairs and that being a bit of fun right i mean if there was as much running up and down stairs or doing cartwheels or learning some kind of physical movement, then I would say, yeah, absolutely. What's the big deal? It's, you know, acting and, and uh, dressing up is fun. But I think it's become deadly, actually. I don't think it's just become fun because the fact that children know that they have to present to camera and that they have to stick their hips out or show their six-pack if they're boys is not, it's not what I would call fun. It would it would be already creating the sense of your body is something you have to make, that you have to produce. And is, as I said before, the way you present yourself to the world. It's your calling card. 
And what would you say, I mean, Susie, I've had over the past few days so many messages from parents who are desperately worried about the things mm-hmm. that their, their children, in particular their, their young girls, are accessing on social media. What can parents do to protect their teenagers? Yeah, I think it's really hard. I think they could try to talk about what they're seeing and how some of those images are fictions, but the kids know that they're fictions. They know they're not real. They know that it takes a whole day to set up a shoot and get the lighting right and get the filters in place and do all of that. But I think the best way you can do it is talk about the fact that bodies are these things we live from and that bodies are continually changing. When you're a little girl, you don't think you're going to get breasts and pubic hair, but that's what happens. And then when you do start to develop that, uh, if a parent can talk about, well, we don't know how your body's going to turn out because that's one of the adventures of life is that, is it going to be like, you know, Auntie Emma's, or is it going to be like Daddy's side of the family? You know, and if we talk then about teenagers' bodies being very, very different than early adulthood, and then postpartum bodies, I think there's ways to talk about bodies which are not completely caught up in the anxiety of getting them right, but talk about bodies as much more fluid and much more a thing to live with and live through. Mm. And perhaps, I don't know, exploring that there are other things in life rather than just focusing on well, you know, the way absolutely. that they what I mean, it's much more interesting to know what your body can do rather than the way your body can look. Mm. And another thing, you know, a mum or a dad or an older sibling can say is, well, if you weren't focusing on your body, what would you be allowing yourself to do? And I think mm. that would be a very good opening. You know, would you be writing a poem? Would you be making a film? Would you be out there digging up nature. I mean, there's so many different things, aren't there? And particularly at this moment in history, when I think probably our youth are probably much more interested in what science has got to offer, given the year we've been through. Well, I think that's perfect advice. Susie Orbach, thank you very much for joining us. Hi. Sorry to interrupt your listening, but there's another great podcast from the Mail on Sunday you might want to try. Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, offering a weekly look into the life of Britain's most unfiltered columnist. That's me. Find us at mailplus.co.uk. It's been interesting for me over the past few years working with you. You've given me new ways of looking at these subjects because it's not necessarily intuitive. You know, a big thing for a newspaper is to sell a diet on the front cover. Mm. It sells really well. People want to lose weight. And although you've you've never been critical of that, you've slowly sort of somehow drip fed, you know, your philosophy um, and, and, and given me a, a, a new perspective on weight loss and diets and the, and the point of it all which, you know, it's not a no-brainer. And, you know, I was really interested recently that Michael Mosley, um, who was our former columnist and now columnist on the Daily Mail, um, who famously invented the 5-2 diet, got a huge amount of criticism online for behaving in a kind of triggering or insensitive way to people with eating disorders. Mm. And there was a bit of a backlash. And I could see that he was quite baffled by the idea that you know, by going on TV and telling people to lose weight to improve their diabetes control, Mm. actually what he was doing was possibly 
you know, harmful to another group of people. Yeah, and, and I don't think the two are mutually exclusive either. What was really interesting last week, um, the Women's Inequalities Committee, um, a group of cross-party MPs, produced a report in which they explored the idea that certain obesity strategies that are pushed out by the government can also be harmful for people with eating disorders, but not necessarily just the traditional, you know, what you might think to be an eating disorder, which is somebody who is very thin with anorexia. Actually, a lot of people are surprised to find out that the majority of people with eating disorders have either bulimia or binge eating disorder and may not necessarily be underweight. In fact, a large proportion of of people with those eating disorders are often overweight and you get eating disorder specialists that are, you know, completely exasperated because there's a complete lack of joined up thinking and and often you'll get somebody who will be told by their GP that they're overweight and that's the first thing that is thought of and that the doctor will say they need to tackle rather than actually thinking of the emotional issues that might be causing their erratic eating behavior and the report highlighted that which I was surprised by because I've never seen MPs say anything like that before or acknowledge it so perhaps there is a change and I mean we're definitely in a situation where everyone must acknowledge that obesity is not necessarily you know the best state of health to be in Mm. and we have more and more people who are obese and more and more younger people who are obese Mm. you know despite this environment where you know skinny messages are being broadcast everywhere so you know what is going wrong i mean you would have thought that you know if the traditional methods of diet worked then we wouldn't have this problem it would have been sorted out years ago i mean you dug out uh, an old diet book that your mum had from the 70s didn't you which was you could have printed it now i mean it's really funny they just repackage the same things over and over again like the low carb diet dates back to what like the 1920s or something it's ridiculous yeah i mean you see the same type of thing over and over again keto diet also you know historic different version of it was uh you know was present some time ago so everybody is always chasing to change their body and I don't think that's ever going to change but I think the problem is that with social media you've got a lot more people who are exposed to images all the time with no break from it so you're constantly told that you're not good enough it's that fine line isn't it between a healthy sense of self-improvement and you know an unhealthy dislike of yourself absolutely and I think interestingly a lot of the backlash that I received over the weekend the things that these people were saying were you know we're making women particularly feel better about themselves you know uh, we're not we're not telling them to hate themselves we're just saying you can be the best version of yourself but actually what they don't realize is the hidden message in that is you're not good enough and essentially what they're doing whether they mean to or not is cashing in on other people's insecurities. Okay, extreme solutions time. I mean, do we put some kind of big health warning on all Fitspo content? I think there might be something in limiting it. You know, you can only look at a certain amount of those images a day or an hour. I think they did quite well with COVID, didn't they? By Mm. flagging anything that wasn't kind of bona fide 
yeah, correct information. Absolutely. But I really feel that separate from that, you know, this problem is going to keep, as we've said, reinventing itself over and over again, you know, telling people that, you know, you're only worth the way that you look, you need to change the way you look. And what's so important is the way that you look, right? That's just the world we live in. And so we need to counter that with powerful messages to young people that there is so much more that you can do that has nothing to do with the way you look and you get so much more out of it. And I think, you know, parents are involved with that. Schools are involved with that. And having honest conversations about feeling a certain way about the way you look, you know, that's very normal, teaching children and young people that it's normal to feel that way. But also there's so much more to life than just thinking about what's on the outside. Um, and mm. I, th I think what Susie Orbach said about really thinking about the brain space you give to ruminating and analysing the way that you look, what more could you do with that brain space? What could you achieve? Well, I, you know, I could talk about this with you for hours and hours. And in fact, <laughs> we do. We often do. Yes. But I'll leave you to wrap up. Yes, that's all we've got time for today. You'll find all the latest health news in this weekend's Mail on Sunday and visit mailplus.co.uk to listen to all our podcasts free and in full. You can also follow us on Twitter by searching at Mail Plus. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. Mm -hmm.